you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. our church. There's nothing like it in all of Frankfurt. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it in all of Frankfurt. I'm thankful. Amen. And I do want to take a moment to honor my pastor tonight. I'm so grateful in October for my pastor. I wasn't here at the beginning, but I'm so thankful we found him along the way. Amen. Amen. I'm grateful for our leadership and what God is doing in our church. Amen. I want to turn your attention tonight, and I promise not to linger and not to be very long, and I thank you for hopefully giving me maybe 30, maybe 40 minutes at the most of your time, and I promise that we'll get out of here and get to Applebee's glory. Sometimes they need all the help they can get if we get there quicker and we can get home before 11. Amen. I'm just kidding. We love them. You know... (laughs) There are times we go over there and God opens doors for us too. And so I'm thankful that our church even is a church outside of the building. Amen. I want to turn your attention to Exodus chapter 17, verses 6 and 7, and then I'll jump down to 10 through 13. It says, Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Harib, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that my people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, which uh, because of the children children of the children of Israel, the Chidee, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Jumping down to verse 10, it says, So Joshua did as Moses said unto him, And fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up into the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone, and they put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. This, to me, is one of the most packed chapters in the Bible because so much happens in 16 short verses. We go from Moses dealing with thousands and millions of upset followers to asking for water 
to a forever victory over the Amalek. So tonight, if you'll allow me just a few moments to dive into this chapter, Massa and Meribah. I want to pray that God has his way tonight, and I need your help tonight. And I'm going to really need your help in a few minutes, so just be willing to do what I ask. Is that all right? I promise not to embarrass you, but if we do this together, it might actually make some sense. I want to pray over this and pray that God has his way in me. Lord, we thank you tonight. We come before you one more time, God, asking that your word would go forth. God, I know that I'm just a feeble messenger, God, but with your will, God, with your grace and with your mercy, Lord, that I would be used of you, God, mightily tonight. I pray you'd have your way in us as a church. Lord, unify us, Lord, and set us on fire, God. Turn us loose in this city, we pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, turn to your neighbor and say, Massa and Meribah. You may be seated. So thankful tonight that they gave me smart water. <laughs> I usually don't drink the water up here because I just don't ever feel like I have time for it, but I might have to pause. If that stuff works, then we're in good hands. So as we begin to read, we saw where the children of Israel, which numbered up to the millions, they say that it could have been as many as four or five million people, went to Moses, and the Bible says they were quarrelsome, and they were ready to fight. Some versions say that they were ready to gather up stones to deal with Moses because of how upset they were about the provision that God had provided for them. These were the people that had seen everything, manna and quail and, and all sorts of miracles. They'd seen God's hand in every battle where every fight that they had, they would see victory, and all along the way, provision yet they still didn't get out of their minds a quarrelsome spirit. And uh, I think it's funny, you know, I, I look back to Lincoln, who one time said a drop of honey catches more flies than a bucket of gall. But Lincoln wasn't around quite then, and the people didn't understand how to say something kindly. Hello? You ever been around somebody who doesn't know how to soften their words? They just come direct, and you're like, my Lord, I'm going to punch something. But I couldn't imagine how Moses felt to have so many people ready to take him out. He was their leader. He was a pastor in a sense. And yet everybody thought it's not going the way we thought it would. And instead of just asking, Lord, uh, can you go, Lord, uh, Moses, go to the Lord and, and just ask him to give us some water, they decided to be quarrelsome with him and they decided to go against him. And uh, uh, everything began to go wrong. They, 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 uh, were quarrelsome and they argued with Moses and they asked, is the Lord against us or not? And those are such powerful words. We read in the New Testament when we get around Easter and Christmas where we, we reflect a lot more upon the life of Jesus and we do it quite often around here but sometimes we'll focus on those verses but there's a point in time where Jesus took a 40 day fast and he went out into the, the, the wilderness and what and whatnot, and the devil becomes to, to come to him and tempt him. And, and it was said that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. All of that was referring back to this chapter. Imagine everything we've ever heard about not tempting Jesus, not tempting the Lord. It all comes back to Exodus 17 where where they begin to tempt God, saying, uh, is it not written, and, and, and will this not happen, and, and how in the world is the Lord among us or not? I don't know about you, I've got some guys that work next to me, 
And I'm a type of guy that once I put my, my mind to the, the grindstone, I really don't stop unless I feel hunger pains, uh, a, a need to go and take care of something. Whatever it is, I will work steady. I'll work through. Does anybody like that? You're just a, an achiever, a little busy bee. And I'll have some guys that work with me, and they're what's called apprentices. And when she talked about being an electrician, that's me. And so I have to come next week in tools. And, and I had, we had one customer that we love so dearly, and they were so friendly, had some great boys. And they drew a picture, and they said, we appreciate our solar family. We were putting solar on their house. And they drew all the, the leaders. We had our bosses. And then we had the apprentice, and there was one guy with a spool of wire. And they begin to ask, well, who's that? And they said, well, that's Brandon. He's the electrician. There was three of us that were electricians, but only one guy got that title. That was a good day. And so when I look in, you know, to get back to what I was saying about these guys, they would come up out of nowhere. 1130 would hit, and the bosses told them, you know, make this day stretch out, and they'd come up and be like, hey, man, are you hungry? I'm thinking, no, I'm, I'm wiring, so I'm doing my work. No, I'm not hungry. Imagine you're just going along and, and life is normal and, and it's a normal day and all of a sudden everybody wants to quit and fight you over food. You can imagine what Moses went up against when he was just trying to lead these children, these congregants, this church of the beginning age, and begin to lead them and, and to be asked, hey Moses, we're thirsty, what in the world, what is going on? Could you imagine just how quarrelsome? To pick up stones against your leader, I could never think of it. I know we're human. I know that sometimes you don't feel like you've been heard or maybe you've been listened to or whatever the case might be, even at work with bosses. But the Bible says that a soft answer turneth away wrath. And so it's up to us to be different. Again, as I look at that, I don't know if they have a title. They do, Massa and Maribal. I'll get to what those mean in just a moment. But it, it, to me, it matters so much. I'm thankful for a pastor that doesn't mind questions. Amen. It's not that he searches for contention, but he never wants people to leave a meeting or the church mad or hurt or what seems to be as though stones have been picked up, but he listens. He wants harmony. Amen? The reason I say amen from time to time is because I look for that bit of agreeance. And I hope that you know your pastor's not against you, but he's for you. I've been through a long road. I've been here 10 years, and there are times where I don't feel like being in church. There's times where I've felt lower than low, where I feel like it's a, just a horrible trial. I'll, I'll never get out of situations I'm in or, or people are putting the pressure on me, but I've never found a pastor that wants to fight me back. This week I had the opportunity, and this is where you're going to help me, I had the opportunity to be at my, my uh, daughter's band fall concert. I don't know if it has any parents ever been to a fall concert for beginning band and middle school band and all that. Just looking across the room, I'm now joining you in our quest. And as she begins, she's in the middle school band, and I thought it was humorous. And I love the school they go to. I don't have any problem with the teachers and how they're teaching. But the teacher decided that the beginning band was going to play a song, and the song was called Mary Had a Little Rest. And if you can imagine, as a musician and one that knows instruments and music and theories and all that, when you mention rest in the title, it means the song's going to be full of rests. And I remember looking to Simon who sat beside me and I said, this is going to be a train wreck. And they played like eight variations of Mary Had a Little Rest and you hear all the punches and the offbeats and 
when they're going to do it and when they're not. And it's like, oh, Lord, help us, Jesus. Just get us through. And it's a, a Christian school, so it's like, if anything, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us here. And bless her. They were awesome kids. Don't get me wrong. I love the fact they're learning. Don't let me beat up on them. But one song I would have avoided for beginning band was Mary Had a Little Rest. And so we got through it. They started and stopped about three different times. But I noticed all through it, the band really wasn't in unison. The band wasn't together. It had a, a discomfited and discombobulated sense of when to rest and when not to. Never forget being in college. We were in this Solfege class. I was at Ball State. I went to school for music education. I loved music. I loved being a trumpet player. And most of you know that about me. Some might not. I, I, I used to be good. Now there's more rust in the horn than there is ability. But I'm thankful for what I found out. And so I'd sit in this Solfege class is what they called it. And it was like the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. And there's musicals that have been written on the songs and all sorts of craziness like that. And, and we'd begin to sing it. They called it sight singing, which means this is the first time you're going to look at this piece of music together. And it was a book. And they'd turn a page. And it wasn't that you just sang the notes. You had to sing them in solfege. So if it went do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, ti, la, sol, fa, mi, re, do, mi, sol, do, sol, mi, do. And it just went on. Stupid, isn't it? And so they'd say, okay, are you ready? And they'd count us off, and the conductor would direct. And, and I noticed that beginning band, this lady, uh, again, love her to death, no issues with her. But she would kind of, like the downbeat, you know, when, when you're in music and if you've been in choir, that first note, it matters that we breathe together and we just come in. But she would just kind of jerk. <laughs> These kids didn't stand a chance. <laughs> it's like, and I've been with some, man, I've been with some guys that are highfalutin when they want to play and they want you all to come together and you have to study every twitch, every motion, every movement. They're gonna, it's just out of nowhere sometimes. A flick of a finger and 200 of you are supposed to come in on the same note. Yeah. Good luck. And it was a corral, so it was a long note. So when that first note didn't come in together, it wasn't like we were just going to take off to the races. No, we're going to sit and just saturate on that note that was wrong. Then he's going to cut you off and go, yeah. We're going to try that again. And just a flick of the finger. So this teacher would do that to these kids, beginner band kids, and there was just no, no lead up to it. It was just, just flick the hand and hope and pray. We get the rest right and we get through it all, and we, we didn't, and we tried it again, and we didn't quite get at that. And so finally we just got through it. Thank the Lord. She just kept going. We got through all of it, and I'll, I'll never forget even when going to Solfege and, and going to college and, and trading in music for many, many years, I would always look at this. And, and finally at Solfege, something I was not comfortable with, we'd begin to sing, and the teacher finally said after about four or five or six weeks into it, he goes, okay, everybody but Brandon. Because I didn't sing quietly like the rest of my class. And if I was going to sing it wrong, we're all going there together. And so there was no chance if Brandon was off, the class was off. But if Brandon got us through, bless the Lord, then we made it through. And we'd go on to something else, and it was, it was an amazing time. And so I said all that tonight to tell you, you are going to help me sing. And you're going to help me sing one note in absolute perfect pitch harmony. Unison, not harmony, unison. We'll work our way up. And so I want you to sing with me this note. Are you ready? Ah. Uh, all right, not this corner. The rest of us, 
Beautiful. That deserves a hand clap. Amen. Now I want us to do it together, and I want this middle section to go up to the third. You know what that is? Great. Let me tell you. When you have a choir and they sing what's called harmony, and you're in a three-part harmony, they take that next note up that seems to fit, and they'll sing that. So if it's ha, ha, so you are ha, sing that for me. All right, now the rest of you are back on your ah. You ready? Ah, ah. All right, now you're going to do it without me singing. I just want to hear you. I'm going to count to four. It's going to look like this. One, two, three, four. Perfect, most of you. But I need a lot from the higher note. And higher notes pierce. You good with that? Uh, everybody still got your note? Here we go. Work with me. We're going to get somewhere. Is this okay? If it's not, I'm sorry. I'm glad we had some good prayer a minute ago because I hope we get back there. But if we don't, we're going to know what harmony is and we're going to know what unison is and we're going to know what unity is. All right, are you ready? Uh, uh, one, two, three, four. Beautiful. Now. Perfect little chord has three notes to it. Ah, that's you guys. If you need to sing an octave lower, it's ah. That makes it a little easier. All right, you ready? Just everybody sing that note. They're they're afraid. Ah, beautiful. You know your note. About to move people around just to get my chairs situated here. So I want you to sing your harmonic note at the same time. I'm going to count you to four. Uh, sorry. <coughs> uh, uh, uh. I didn't sing that right. There it is. Uh, uh, um. We're going to get there. Go ahead. Give me a triad here. Feels like I'm in sister act for a minute. I need some more smart water. Um, that was our first note there, which is like an F. There's your F. Hit me the A. Is that an F? Hit me an A. Hit me an A. That's the middle part. wait till I do what I'm actually trying to get to. Do you know your notes? I want you to sing it, and then I'm going to do this, and that means crescendo. Are you ready? One, two, three. That doesn't mean stop. That means low. Now, you got to help me. I see some of you aren't singing. I didn't say hum it. Now here's the note I want you to hit. Just hit me the first bottom bass or the bottom note. That everybody sing that real quick. Uh, now I want this side to just sing first a half step up. 
the low note, all of this right here, just singing the low bass, or that first note. Uh, now, just as loud, you got twice as many people over here. Together, you're going to sing. Uh, uh, are you ready? One, two, three. I won't make you do it again, but what you just sang was what's called a minor second. Every train, every ambulance, every alarm clock, every horn is that interval. Do you know why? Because it produces the loudest sound of any interval. The further away you get, it sounds harmonic and everything kind of gets a little quieter. But when you're right next to where you're supposed to be, it makes it that harsh. Now, let me try my best musically to drive this home just a little bit. In our church, in your mindset, in your life, it's not good enough to be close enough. It's not just good enough to say, well, I come to church, but I really don't like what he's preaching. It's not good enough to say, well, you know, I, I, I try to be a part of things, but I really don't like when we do this event, or I really don't like when they have church like this, or I don't like some of their preachers, I don't like some of the, it's really not good enough to just be close enough. All we're doing is sounding an alarm. And this isn't the alarm that we're trying to sound with God. We want to be in harmony. We want to be in unison and in unity. It's when we're thinking that we're good, but we're just close enough, and we have influence, but we're really all about the gossip, or maybe we're really, you know, we, we've got some, uh, some stature and some status, so people might follow us, but we're really not going the same place everybody else is going. It's in those moments where you better understand that you are only sounding alarms. Imagine the children of Israel, thank you very much, Imagine those children of Israel where they looked at the first part of Exodus 17 and the Bible says that they came up and they had issue with Moses. And they began to question and doubt God to the point where they tempted God saying, are you even here? If you don't have a church home, I don't only want to encourage you to find a home here, but to make sure that you just stay close to where the, the power and the leading of God is. Make sure you set your eyes straight on what he's trying to do. It's only a half step from perfectly in tune. One little step from perfection, but that's all it takes to be in complete disunity. We can be so close, so perfect to that right step. The children of Israel, they messed up so bad that Moses said that he named those places Mesa and Meribah. Mesa means test. It was recorded as a place of testing. There's nothing wrong with tests. We've been through tests. We've been through tests that have taken years. We've been through all sorts of tests. Will we have a building? Will cancer go away? Name your flavor. We've seen tests, but the problem was the Meribah. And that is the result of that test, and that is interpreted as quarreling. When you quarrel with God or the things of God, you are at a place where you don't trust him. And it's when we're in disunity with God that he really doesn't see fit for us to carry on and continue. He'll remember it enough that when he comes to earth, robed in flesh, that he would revert back to that moment and say, does it not say that you are not to tempt the Lord thy God? That's how powerful it is when we go against God. And we go against his movement and his way. Amen? 
I'm only saying that to say, and I know I'm preaching to the choir. You all came on Sunday night, and I'm not mad at nobody. Don't get me wrong. But if you ever question what you're supposed to do for God, it's to not only just get in step, but it's to work with others and to get alongside of us and say, we're going to do this together. We're going to see God save our city. We're going to see God move like he's never moved before. And it really uh, amazes me when I look at the rest of Exodus 17 because another test was on the horizon. It didn't look like the last one, but harmony, unity, submission, all of those key components were involved in this test. And the Bible says that Joshua went to fight as Moses raised his hands. He had two others with him as Joshua fought that kept Moses' hands in the air. And it reads like this, verse 13 through 16, And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. I want to stop right there. Do you see how powerful unity is when it's used for the right thing? God told them, uh, verse uh, 15 if you could, it, it said it like this, it said uh, to write it down. This is a memorial in a book. Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. He was so content, I will erase Amalek from the face of the earth. Unity not only finds you coming through the situation and the trials and the test, but when you're submitted, when you're lined up with the things of God, he erases that test from everyone else's memory. He erases there ever being somebody else. So he makes you write it down. He makes you remember because nobody else is even going to remember. You're just going to look blessed. You ever wonder how some people look so blessed? I promise you it's because they've lived their life in unity. They've lived it in submission. They did the right thing where God brought them through a trial. And, and nobody remembers the trial even. It's just you that had to write it down. Sis, it's just you that had to write it down. Because you were up here worshiping. I'll never forget. Many of you remember it. But there was a time where Sister Robin Mulberg flat out died in our church. Nobody knew what to do, and everybody ran to the hospital, and she gained heartbeat back, and we're thankful for what God has done. But sometimes we almost need to just write it down and remember it because that's nothing we're going to have to worry about again. He did it when she worshiped, amen? That's why the Bible says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's imperative in my life that I'm unified with God, not just with God, but with the church. I hope I'm not just preaching to nobody tonight. Brother Joel Urshan preaches so well at General Conference, I don't know how anyone will ever preach on the fruit of the Spirit again. But if I might, let me talk about something else that's sweet. It's not a fruit, but it is considered the only food that encompasses every nutritional essential to life. It also came out of a rock like the water did, but in Psalms 81, they, they said it came out of the rock, and they found it in King Tut's tomb, 3,000 years old and still edible, and it's made from every nectar and pollen that's around, and it was described when talking about manna, and it's simply honey. The guys I work with, we were at a job, and the, the owners had a beehive, and I, I don't know about you, but that makes me nervous. They're everywhere. They're friendly. I found out that they hate breath. They hate breath. Like, they, they have more nose and, and sensors and ways to pick up smell than a dog. They don't like human breath. That's why when you blow on them, they go away. It's because you stink. 
So I began to talk to one of my coworkers, and he says, oh, yeah, we used to grow these, and we used to uh, uh, have uh, beehives. My parents still do, and we've lost some. And he said, it's really interesting how you deal with hives and how you deal with swarms. There's only one queen, and we know that, right? I'm going to talk about bees for a minute. You okay? I'll take you along with me. I've got seven minutes. Just give me time. And that queen is the one that rules the roost, and she gives birth to everyone else in the colony, and there's male and female alike, but they're nothing like the queen. And, and as a queen becomes older, after a couple of seasons, they will start to introduce new queens and find ways to stay together as a hive while the leader might move on. And, and it's, it's quite impressive to see how colonies are born and how they take shape and how they stay where they are. In order to remove a queen, talking to my friend, he said, it's very hard to do. You have to grab the queen because sometimes hives will produce queens. And when you see a second queen, either the hive will kill it because it's not sure who to follow or it'll go after the one that's been there. And somehow you're going to have one queen before long. And so they'd grab the queen and, and they'd make sure you smoke everybody else out and they'd, they'd put the queen into a vehicle and they'd seal it shut. They'd drive the vehicle about two miles away and they'd park it for about a week. That's what it takes to get a queen out of the hive. And I thought it was so fascinating to, to think of how bees will travel up to three miles to go after food, and they'll, they'll do everything that they're supposed to do, and, and, and they'll go chasing after all this stuff. And they, they say, according to statistics and according to facts, that if, if a bee gets too far away and they know they won't make it back before the morning, that they'll go inside of a flower and hide. And in the morning, they'll come out and they'll fly back to the hive. They'll find ways that they say that it can carry 80% of its body weight. It has separate stomachs to hold nectar and, and that it siphons off water to make, to make honey. They say that the honey, that the honeycomb itself is the strongest structure and, and bees will go and they'll, they'll put honey in each one of the, the cells of the, the honeycomb and then uh, the worker bees will deposit it and the other bees, the colony bees will flap their wings 200 times a second or a minute. And they'll flap their wings trying to get the water off of it. And they'll, they'll siphon water off trying to make this honey perfect. And they say it can last a lifetime. They said honey found in King Tut's tomb is still edible. 3,000 years. And all you have to do is press one minute on the microwave. And honey. Now, if I can make a parallel to beehives and churches. There's something that bees do that is so um, amazing to me. When I watch them and learn about them protecting a queen, I think of our church that protects its leader. I'm not calling my pastor or anything like that, but my, my pastor is a leader, amen? And it might be the weirdest message you've ever heard. But my goal is to get us to understand how powerful it is when we work together with one queen, one leader, one king, one pastor, one shepherd. And I'm thankful that when I look at us and I see that sometimes maybe you might just be a worker bee. You might just say, well, all I do is I go and I help build the church and that's all I've ever done. I don't really talk to people and I'm not really in the middle of things and I've just helped with events and I've I've set things up and I've torn them down, but I'm not really out there. And maybe some of you are, well, I'm more of a colony bee. I'll, I'll carry the beeswax on my, my stomach and on my uh, chest. So when the honey's ready to be preserved, I'll go and I'll place a layer over it for our young ones and to get through winter. And more, you're, maybe you're one that's a, a Sunday school teacher that takes care of, of children. And, and you have a place 
The purpose is that every bee has a place. Bees don't get to just slack off. In fact, the ones that come in the hive that do want to just go and steal the food are usually wasps. And bees typically swarm over them and they'll let their body heat get so intense that they'll burn something else up and get it like kicked out. They're clean creatures. It's amazing to think what happens and and, and to relate it back to us again, when I look at how bees work and I see how we work, there's no room in the kingdom for people to just say, I'm not able to do anything. They're actually doing studies on Alzheimer's. You ready for this? They're studying bees. What they've realized is when they give an old bee a new job, its loss of memory ceases. So I can't use that term when I'm 65, 80, 90, 100 years old. I can't ever say I'm just too old to matter to the kingdom. There's never a point where I can say, you know what, it doesn't matter if I help out anymore. I've done my part. It's time for the young guy. I've done what I'm supposed to do. No, no, no. It's time to get behind the next guy. It's time to say, okay, you take over. I'm going to go learn something else. I'm going to go find my way somewhere else in the kingdom, and I'm going to make myself available for what God's trying to do. It doesn't matter what you're willing or wanting to do. It, it doesn't even matter the impact you have. Here's what, you know what's wild? Every bee in their entire life will only produce one-twelfth of a teaspoon. Nobody ever looked at that and said, boy, you're unessential. I think in our lives we get it confused where, well, I don't do much. Do something, honey. It's okay. Well, I don't, I don't wear the big, the big hats, and I don't have the fancy name or the plate on the, the parking spot. Well, just do something for the kingdom. It's never okay to not do something for the Lord. We can't quit. We can't leave. We must contribute. Amen. It's how you start. That doesn't matter, but it's how you finish. This place we are in might be labeled Massa. It might be labeled a test, but the church will hopefully come through this test, and the Lord might call it Massa, but please, God, don't let it be called Meribah. Don't let this be a place where all we do is quarrel with each other and gossip and backbite, but Lord, help me to be a bee. Help me to be just a little worker bee. Whatever I have to do, help me to be in line with the man of God. Whatever my heart has to do, whatever I have to get over, I still got to go after the honey. I still have to be sweet as our music comes. Moses not only needed Joshua, but he needed her and Aaron. I'm not dragging my pastor up here to make him sit on a chair and make other people hold his arms, but I hope you can see it even in your mind that my pastor has chosen leaders and, and, and understudies and different things. He's got so many people he's training and working on, trying to make sure when the test comes that we have a Joshua that can go and fight, that we have an Aaron and a Hur that can help set him on a rock and hold the arms up, that we can do what we need to do where we need to do it to see God erase the test from the church. That's what I hope we have in our lives. If you would stand with me. never did finish what I was reading. It said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out of remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and 
called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will never war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's only through unity that we're going to get through battles. It's the only way we'll get through something that seems completely unwinnable. It's the only way that we'll ever get to a place where we can call him my banner. We used to sing that song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Nisi, my banner, and you reign in victory. And there was so much that was said about it. But this was the chapter where something was established in the word of God. I looked up what banners represents. And the biggest thing that stuck out to me was that a banner represents morale. The Lord is what pushes me. The Lord is what I'll look to when I'm not sure where the fight is anymore. And and I can't keep my head up. Who am I even fighting? I feel like it's people. I feel like it's situation and bills and, and all this stuff that might come across me. Where do I even fight? But the Lord is my banner. Banners represented a place where you could turn and know that's where my army is. That's where my help comes from. It's in the banner. I drew our attention to honey because it matters what comes out of our mouths. It matters what we're producing. It matters what, what's said of Christian Life Church. And even to our guests, I hope that you came here knowing this church loves you. But let me show you my banner. Let me show you where my morale comes from. Brandon, what keeps you coming to church three times a week? What keeps you invested in Bible studies and events and what makes you go to youth rallies? You're not involved with youth. My banner does. He's my morale. What makes you come to a kid's service? Morale. What makes you come to these things where you don't feel like you have a part? I'm still going to be a little B. And I'm still going to work at it because I don't want this place to be called Maribar. You can call it a test all you want. You can call every trial of my life all you want. But don't let me say I was quarrelsome with my pastor, with my church, or with my banner. Might be your first day of church. I don't know. Some of you might have been here since the first day it's ever been a church. But I know tonight more than ever, I know it's been, it's been asked, and I looked this morning, and I've seen God line up, line upon line, and precept upon precept. Every time we prayed, the message I heard my pastor on commitment, I already have this written out, Pastor. I didn't go home and write this up in the time I had this afternoon. I feel God's trying to say something to us that we need to be united. Don't let me be just close enough. I don't want to make alarms. I don't want to sound off things that saying this isn't a church of God or that this isn't a place where the Holy Ghost moves. I want to be in unison with what God is doing at our church. And here's how I do that. They're going to come and sing. I wonder if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment. I know we've had some good prayers so far, but maybe there's something that tugs at your heart right now that says, maybe I need to go and repent. I need to ask God to forgive me of everything I've ever done. I need to just chase back to what I was. You might need to go back to your Amalek and say, Lord, where was I quarrelsome? Or, or where was I in the fight, Lord? How in the world can I get to where you'll erase it all? 
And I'm going to open up these altars and I want to ask you if you've been to a place even tonight in thought or in spirit that you've got something that God wants to change in you, why don't you find a place to pray? Why don't you lay it all at this altar of repentance? Let God do something new in you. He can start new today. Doesn't matter what the past was. God can do something great in you. Why won't you find a place to pray tonight? That's right, I'm calling you church. The church that's staying in unison, I'm calling us. Why won't we come find a place to pray? Maybe you just keep your eyes open and look at your neighbor and say, who can I pray with? Who can I make sure that I'm not in quarrel with?
want to do exactly what you've called me to do. Be what you would have me to be. Walk the way you would have me to walk. God, don't I ever allow there to be contention in my spirit. Let me be pliable and usable in your kingdom. Oh, we honor you tonight, Lord. And we thank you for your word. And we honor you, Jesus. Would you give Brother Brandon a great big God bless you. Thank you for preaching your heart to us tonight. And for that incredible choir lesson. And we may...